Well, I love Christmas music. I really do. The choir is uh, singing tonight for the musical Home for Christmas. And uh, those are nice words. Nice to have uh, family come home. Nice to get together, isn't it? As a church, I find it uh, uh, really exciting when we get everyone together at Christmas. I know that there are those that um, they travel at Christmas to be uh, in other places where their homes are. But I'm so happy. Um, we've got Danielle. She's back home for Christmas. And I think David's around here somewhere, isn't he? Where is he? Hi, oh, hiding. Right in front of me. There you go, yeah. So it's great to, to have them back uh, as well. And um, let's see, who else am I missing? Who's home for... Oh, Jewel's coming this week. Jewel's coming. So um, anyhow, that's all good. Would you open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 2. want to talk with you this morning about the wise men and their gifts. How many have ever heard a joke about the three wise men? Raise your hand if you've ever heard a joke ever at all in your life. A joke about the three wise men. Raise your hand so I can see. One, two, three. All right, and let me try this the other way. Raise your hand if you've never heard a joke about the three wise men. Raise your hand if you've never heard a joke about the three wise men. Wow, well, you surprised me today because there are more jokes made about the three wise men around Christmas than probably of any other aspect of it. There's all kinds of jokes made about the three wise men. I don't think it's a wise thing to make jokes about the wise men, really. One, one joke. Now, if you've never heard jokes about the wise men, then you will have never heard the joke about the three wise women. Isn't that right? You've never heard jokes about the... They said, what if it was the three wise women rather than the three wise men? What would have been different? They say, well, number one, they would have asked for directions. Number two, they would have arrived on time. Number three, they would have helped deliver the baby. Number four, they would have cleaned the stable. Number five, they would have made a casserole. And number six, they would have brought practical gifts. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of humor there. But uh, truth be known, the wise men did ask directions. They went to see King Herod, didn't they? And uh, they arrived on time. Well, they followed the star. And so they got where they were supposed to get in God's time because God was the one leading them and um, helped deliver the baby and clean the stable. Well, all that was all done two years ago because it wasn't the babe in the manger by the time the wise men came. They came and the Lord Jesus was as old as maybe two years of age but something that they did that the wise women, there's no mention of in this joke here, the wise men worshipped the king. No mention there of the wise women worshipping the king, is there? And then finally about the practical gifts. Well, don't forget that it was the gold that the wise men brought that would have financed their trip into Egypt because they had to uh, get out of town because Herod's henchmen were coming. So, anyhow, I'm actually amazed that uh, only about three or four people here have ever heard any jokes about the wise men. That's good. That's a good sign. 
Boy, do I ever feel hideous. I've heard a few of them. Well, let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to talk about the wise men and their gifts. And this is no joke. I can promise you that. Dear loving Father, thank you so very much for the Bible that records all these details. And we're so thankful that these wise men came and that they did what they did in obedience to you. And their heart was to uh, worship the King of Kings and help us to be that way. Oftentimes we're not that way. Oftentimes we're more uh, taken up and we're busy with schooling or work or things around the house and we forget the King of Kings. And so help us to remember and to focus our attention upon our wonderful, wonderful Savior Jesus. Bless us now as we look at the scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll just give you a, a little bit of a thumbnail sketch on uh, these verses before us. In verse 1, we're told that there were uh, wise men from the east. Now, that's quite possibly from the uh, area of Arabia. And uh, one reason we feel that way is because of the gifts that they brought. A couple of their gifts seem to be specific to Arabia. These men would have had access to the Old Testament scriptures, particularly Daniel chapter 9. They would have had that. Daniel was over there in Babylon in the quote-unquote east area, and that's where he would have done his writing. And so um, God keeps his word around. God doesn't let his word uh, get corrupted or fall by the wayside. God promises that. And so these wise men would have had some sort of access to Old Testament scriptures. And as I mentioned, Daniel chapter 9, which is worth studying out. Or they may have had also special revelation from God. That's also possible. But they come in verse 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. <clears throat> Some people get off on astrology. There's a big difference between astrology and astronomy. Now what's the difference between those two? Astrology and astronomy. What is astronomy? What is it? Anyone know? Study of the stars and the planets. Right. And what is astrology? Horoscope. Planning your life according to the stars. Trying to predict the future and things like that. And this has nothing to do with astrology. These wise men would have been gazing up and would have seen his star. Uh, but astrology is something that God actually condemns in the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 19 and Jeremiah chapter 10, we find God condemning astrology. Uh, in fact, what this was, was a special star prepared by God for this very purpose. And God is smart enough to do that, folks. He may have prepared this star before the foundation of the earth. He may have laid everything all out. I have no doubt that he would have done something like that. And so they end up in Jerusalem, and in verse 3, they're in front of a fellow named Herod, and he apparently was the king. And apparently this king Herod was very troubled uh, when he uh, heard these things about uh, a new king in town. Herod was also known as the king of the Jews. That was one of his unofficial titles. And he was an insanely jealous man. Ladies, you're thinking you're married to a jealous man? You... You count your, yourself lucky because this guy Herod was so insanely in, jealous. He had family members murdered, a couple of his sons murdered, had his wife murdered, had his wife's mother murdered, and many other people he put to death because he feared that they somehow were a threat 
to his kingdom. And this guy was really a, a Looney Tunes, and I think he paid for it big time. He died a horrible death, and I don't believe he's in heaven, folks. And so when it says that he's troubled, literally means he's terrified, he's frightened. I think there was some mental, emotional stress, uh, undue stress on this man. Um, let's say he wasn't smiling. And so um, he calls together the chief priests and the scribes in verse 4, and he demands to know where Christ, meaning Messiah, this new king of the Jews, where is he going to be born? These wise men from the east tell me they've seen his star and that he's born. So I want to know where he's born. You guys are supposed to be the experts. Now tell me, where is your Messiah supposed to be born? First thing these religious men do is they go to the Old Testament scriptures. They went to the Bible, the Old Testament, right to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And they go right there, and um, they say in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And so these religious men all knew that Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. However, you know the story, and isn't it interesting that none of these religious leaders ever went to welcome the Messiah. You don't read about the, the priests here going and paying homage. They bring him no gifts. They offer him no worship. You know, it does kind of remind us of, uh, of some maybe backslidden Christians. They've been saved a long time. They may have it together in their head, but in their heart, they've cooled off. And we read about a whole church like that in Revelation chapter 2. It's called the church at Ephesus. And the Lord Jesus commended them on all these wonderful things they were doing. But then he said, I have somewhat against you. I do have something I need to talk to you about. And that was the fact that they had left their first love. Those are telling words, folks. And you know, if the Lord Jesus were to sit down beside you, is that something he might whisper in your ear? Might he say to you, my daughter, my son, I love you so much. I'm looking forward to having you in heaven. You're doing a lot of good work here, but there's something I got to talk to you about. You've actually left your first love. You've left me behind. You're off there doing all kinds of things, good things, mind you, but where am I in your life? I used to hold first place in your life. Seems that I don't do that anymore, do I? It seems there are other things that hold more of your attention. You ever thought about that? Thou hast left thy first love. You ever thought about that? And so many Christians, it happens to them. And I think it's a trick of the devil. And I think it's a very good trick of the devil. And that's how he gently gets us away from Jesus. Is he gets us more concerned about other things. About money. About careers. About buying houses and buying boats and going on vacations. About having children and raising them and paying for their schooling and paying for the braces on their teeth. And he gets us more concerned about all these things and they're fine things, mind you. But where is Jesus? That's a, a good question. Maybe a good question I'd like to leave with you this morning. First question is, where is Jesus? Hey, it's his birthday we're celebrating. It's his time of year. It's supposed to all be about Jesus. Where is Jesus in your life these days? Two weeks of December have gone by. There's only two more weeks left. And Christmas is coming. It's going to be on Wednesday this year. A week this coming Wednesday, in fact. be Christmas Day. 
And what will Christmas Day find you doing? Will you be doing various things, cooking, preparing, unwrapping gifts, playing games? Where is Jesus this year, this Christmas, in your heart, in your life? Well, these religious uh, leaders here, they knew where Jesus was going to be born, but they didn't bother going. If you'd been living back then, 2,000 years ago, do you think you would have gone? Do you think you would have left your household work and chores and all that stuff and gone and seen Jesus? Do you think you would have? Because these guys didn't. And these were the leaders at that. Wow. Now, we get down to verse 7. Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He wanted to ascertain about how old this, this Christ child was. He wanted to know if the, the, it was just a baby or if he was 10 years or 8 years. And so we inquired. And that's why we know in the story that uh, what, what's called the slaughter of the innocents when uh, Herod saw that he didn't get what he wanted and he sent his guards in and uh, they, uh, they put to death. You see in verse 16, um, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so Herod was a clever fox, a real clever devil. And so he asked his questions very carefully. And um, then he said in verse 8, after he got an idea how old the Messiah was at that time, he said, uh, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Oh, don't you just hate that? I mean, that's worse than Scrooge or worse than the Grinch or something. This guy is real. And he's a cutthroat is what he was. Two-faced cutthroat. And yeah, he wanted to worship Christ with a sword is what he wanted. He wanted to put the Christ child to death. So verse 9, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Remember, he's no longer a babe. He's a young child. Uh, Pastor Tim's little fella, Titus, when Titus was first born, uh, Pastor Tim and Lydia would be working here at the church during the day and they would take baby Titus and they'd put him in the um, fireside room there and turn out the lights and put on a little baby monitor camera and put him in a you know, playpen and keep watch over him. And uh, they put up a little sign on the door and said, shh, baby asleep. And we saw that and we'd all tiptoe around. Well, now they still put him to sleep in that room, but the sign has changed. The sign says, shh, young child asleep. Why didn't they keep calling him a baby? He wasn't a baby. Here, it's not the babe anymore in the manger. Here, it's the young child. And so, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. <coughs> now, there are four important truths I want to bring to your attention uh, today as we look here at the last verse. Um, number one, in verse 11, and when they were come into the house, 
So they came into the house. And this is a reiteration of what I had just said earlier. It wasn't the stable. The crowds of, of people from Bethlehem were now all dispersed. Remember the taxation? And you read about it in Luke, Gospel of Luke. All the world had to be taxed. And a whole bunch of people converged on Bethlehem. And uh, the inn was full. Well, the crowds are all gone. And now more suitable housing had been found. The wise men came to where Christ was. And by the way, someone might ask, well, where is Christ today? Christ is found where God's people gather together. Jesus promised where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And here we have his church gathered together. Jesus is in the presence of his people here today. And so if you're looking for Jesus, well, I think you found him, folks. He's right here. He's right here amongst us. But some people don't go to church. Some people say, I don't have to go to church. If I want to worship God, I can go out in the woods and I can worship God. Well, when someone tells you that, you ask them, when was the last time you went out into the woods and worshiped God? And they'll say, well, not yet. Hypocrites, hypocrites. Some folks don't want to go to church. They want to stay home and and, and worship God on a color TV or something like that. Folks, if you're, if you're not sick, if you're not working, if you're not out of town, you need to be in church. You really, really do. You say, oh, pastor, you are provoking me. My brother, my sister, that's my job. I'm to provoke you to good works. One day when we get to heaven, you're going to be judged. As a Christian, God's going to look for what he can reward and what he can't. And one thing you'll get rewarded on is your faithfulness. And this is an easy one, folks. And so often we buy into the devil's lie. The devil says, oh, sweetheart, you went to church once already today. You can't possibly go to church twice. It's too taxing on you. Now, I'll be honest. There actually are people that that is true. But they're really tend to be old and decrepit and with a pole and an IV bag and and so on. Getting to church once is a a major thing. But for the rest of us, I think we could probably do it. If someone told you they'd give you a million dollars if you come to church tonight, I'll bet you nothing would hold you back. I'm not staying at home. Are you kidding? I'm going to church to collect my million dollars. Well, no one's going to give you a million dollars by coming tonight. But God will bless you. You'll make God happy because you'll have shown good faith. Uh, You'll get rewards for it. Not just in heaven, but here on earth. God finds ways to bless his people. And so remember, if I'm supposed to be the Lord's representative, the under shepherd, that's what the Bible refers to me as, then I'm representing the shepherd. And the shepherd would say, come to church. Be faithful. Come to church. And so here they came into the house. So here you are today coming into the house of the Lord. Number two, in verse 11, it says, they saw the young child. And so they saw Christ. Why did they see? Why did they see Christ? The answer is simple, because they were looking for him. They were looking for him and they saw him. You say, well, what's so profound about that? Let me ask you, why do you come to church? Who is it you're looking for when you come to church? There are people who come to church to see their friends. There are people who come to church maybe to to see what someone is wearing. 
We need to come to church to see the King. We need to come to church to see Jesus. So how can we see Jesus? He's in heaven. No, no. By faith. By faith. The eye of faith. You say, well, where do I get one of those? (laughs) Well, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you don't have one. You need to know the Lord as your Savior, and God will give you the eye of faith. And with the eye of faith, you can see a whole lot of things you can't see with the physical eye. That's very true. And that eye of faith just gets clearer and brighter and stronger the older you get. And although your physical body and your physical eyes may give out on you, your eyes of faith will see clearer than ever before. They came into the house, we come into church. They looked for Christ, we look for Christ. Remember in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus went up on this mount called, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And he took three of his disciples with him. Do you remember the names? Who were they? Peter, James, I think I heard it. Say it. John. Peter, James, and John. He took those three. He left the other nine down at the foot of the mount. He went up to the top of the mount and there his his clothes, his raiment changed. They dazzled, you know, with the glory of heaven. And there appeared to him, talking with him, Moses and Elijah. You remember this story? And then there's old Peter, sleepy, and he doesn't quite know what to say. And some people, Peter has a lot of relatives these days. They don't quite know what to say. And they open their mouth and they say the wrong thing. And Peter opened his mouth and he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, three little tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, and then God, the Father, got involved and overshadowed, and this great glory and brightness came. And the father had words of advice. He said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And when the cloud lifted, the Bible says they saw no man but Jesus only. And that's why you ought to come to church. Let's go to church today. I can hardly wait to see Jesus. Let's get into the house of the Lord today. I want to see what God has for me today. That ought to be your motive for coming. And bring others with you too, by the way. And so they, number one, they came into the house. Number two, they saw Jesus. Now, go back to verse 11. What does it say? It says, and fell down and, what's the next word? Worshipped him. The English word worship is based upon a root word, worth. W-O-R-T-H. What was Jesus worth? To these three wise men. Well they left comforts of family and home. They traveled a long distance. This, this journey must have taken them uh, a month. Maybe two months. And along the way there's bands of thieves and highwaymen and robbers. So they, they would have probably had to, to take some armed guards with them. No doubt they cried out to, to God saying protect us. And they followed the star. And this journey of one month or maybe two months, and they brought gifts with them, remember? And they came and they inquired diligently and they found the place where Christ was and they came into the house and they saw the child and they worshipped him because he was worth it. That's why. That's why you worship Jesus, because he's worth it. He is worth it. The uh, word in the Greek New Testament uh, literally means to prostrate yourself, to fall down before. That's the idea of worship. You'll find that in in the book of Revelation, that these uh, 24 elders up in heaven would fall down and worship God. When was the last time you fell on your face 
and worshipped God. When was the last time you got alone? Maybe in your bedroom. Maybe in a little prayer closet. When was the last time you got on your face before Almighty God and told him how much you loved him? How much you adored him? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. This is what the, uh, the angels say when they worship God. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. And they go on and they describe him who was and is and is to come. Oh, they use rich adjectives. You'll find it. Read the book of Psalms. You'll, you'll see a lot of good worship language there. Worship doesn't have anything to do with waving your arms and having a big set of drums up here and a, and a screaming guitar. That's not worship. You can get that at a rock concert. So I hope you don't go to. <laughs> worship comes from the heart. And it's the worth of it. Now, in, in a smaller scale, in a smaller scale, when a young man finds the right woman and he wants to marry her, boy, she's worth it. And he'll spend his last dime on this great big rock of a ring. And he'll make it as big and beautiful as he possibly can because she's worth it. You see? And then he wants to, to uh, buy her a home or rent a home, a palace, because she's worth it. And he displays her like, like his prized possession. You know, hey, this is my wife. This is, this is the girl for me. This is the one. And he walks proudly with her because she's worth it. But unfortunately, the years roll on and they begin to take e each other for granted. They get up in the morning and sometimes don't even talk to each other, you know, until they're on their way out the door. Isn't that sad? At one time, boy, she's worth it. Or he's worth it. He's a hunk. He's a keeper. Man, he is the, the, the best of the best. And I got him. He's worth it. What happened? Well, people sometimes drift apart. And that's also what happens to some Christians. After they're saved for a period of time, that great love, that great sense of worshiping God, what happened to it? You see, folks, I'm extending to you a call here at this Christmas, to come back to your loving Savior. To draw close to Him, closer than you've ever drawn before. You know, we talk about giving gifts to one another. It's His birthday. Let's give Him a gift. Let's give Him our love. That's what He wants more than anything else, folks. Is He wants our real heart. You get in close to Him, and I believe you can't help but worship Him. And that's what we have here. These wise men, I believe, in worshiping were saying this. They were saying, this is my God. This is my king. This is my sovereign. This is my creator. To him I yield my life. To him I submit myself. I believe that that's the reason why these wise men came. They came to worship him. That was their reason for coming. Boy, that ought to be our reason for coming to church. That ought to be our reason for getting up in the morning and getting alone with Jesus every day. When was the last time that you had your prayer closet, that you got alone with Him and spent some quiet time? I don't mean, oh man, i got to read my, my few verses for the day. Let's see, i got to hurry up here. Let's see, what are these verses here? And behold, there was a man which had a hand withered. What does that mean? Oh well, that's the scripture reading for today. Let's go. Is my coffee ready? I gotta get to work. That's not that's not worship. That's that's not having your devotion. That's a joke. That's a joke. 
We can't make jokes out of our precious time with our beloved Savior. It has to be real. So when was the last time you had a real time, a real talk with the Lord? Nothing superficial. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How was your day? Fine. You don't want to talk to Jesus that way. You want to learn to pour your heart out before him. When was the last time, Christian, that that happened? Well, today you can change that. You all read through the New Testament and you'll find that uh, the wise men came to worship him. Jesus healed 10 lepers and one of them came back to worship him. A man named Jairus, whose daughter was, was sick and, 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 and in fact died, he came and worshiped Jesus. The disciples, when Jesus rose from the dead and they realized he's alive, they came in Matthew 28 and they worshiped him. You know, some people, when they come to church, it's just about like they're coming to a funeral. And I'm not talking about getting all, you know, fuzzy and happy and yippy and yappy. I'm not talking about that. But their attitude, when they come to church, you know, it's like they would go to a funeral. They talk about Jesus. Oh, he was a good man. Oh, and he was so kind and gentle. And then we pat ourselves on the back for being so holy, you know, and spiritual to have gone through this kind of exercise. When you come to church, folks, it ought to be so that you can draw close to Jesus. It ought to be so you can give yourself to Jesus again. It ought to be so that you can ask him to be the master of your life. And so let's review. They came to the house. They saw Jesus. They worshiped him. And now number four. It says in verse 11. And when they had opened their treasures. They presented unto him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Three gifts. Three wise men. There you go. That's how we figure there was three. I'd like to say something that's controversial. You can measure a man's worship. By the sacrificial giving he does for Jesus. Now, you may agree with that or disagree with that, and I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm not talking about the size of the gift, that God requires that we each give $10,000 every year, each one of us. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that what would be sacrificial in your life? Your worship can be measured by your giving. I'd like you to know that it's always that way. Love for Jesus cannot keep still. It cannot. God's love for us didn't keep still. For God so loved the world. What are the next words? That he gave his only begotten son. Imagine if God, for God so loved the world that he had nice warm feelings and walked away. For God so loved the world that he smiled and said, hmm, I did a pretty good job that time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because the world's in a mess and the world needs Jesus. And folks, we who are saved, we're not perfect. And we still need him, maybe more than ever before. If you don't feel dependent on Jesus, almost like a a cripple holding on to him, depending on him every day, something's not right. You and I, we need to be dependent on our Savior every single day. Well, you look at the Bible and you'll find a little poor widow in Luke chapter 21 
And while others were casting in huge amounts into the treasury, she put in two mites, two, far, two mites that make a farthing. That's a quarter of a penny in English currency, old English currency, one quarter of a penny. They don't make pennies anymore. Too expensive. Cost them two cents to make one cent. So they, they don't make pennies anymore. But if you find one, take one and cut it into four pieces and hold up that, that tiny little piece. Say, now who in, their, who in the world, who in the right mind would, would ex, you know, exchange this for anything? No one. And yet that's all that this little lady had. And she gave that. And that was sacrificial giving because she loved the Lord. You'll find in John chapter 6, a little boy that gave his lunch. He gave all he had to Jesus. Jesus took it and blessed it. You'll find that uh, in John chapter 12, Mary took a very price, pricey and expensive ointment and gave it to Jesus. You'll find in Luke chapter 19 that Zacharias gave half his goods to the poor after he got saved. And in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas gave all the money from the sale of his land to the Lord. When the heart is in love with Jesus, the giving will always be sacrificial. Tell you an interesting story about an old Christian saint named William Sewall. And William Sewall was a godly man, loved the Lord. And he was coming to a meeting that, that was going to, they were talking about missions and missionaries and so on, but he got there a little bit late. And they had just taken the offering. And the uh, host of the meeting saw, saw William Sewall come in and sit down. He was an elderly man at that time. And, and so he said, Brother Sewall, he said, would you, would you stand and lead us in prayer? And the old man stood up and seemed to hesitate for a while. And he was fumbling through his pockets. And so the host thought he didn't hear because he was getting older. He said, Brother Seawall, I, I said, would you lead us in prayer? And he's fumbling in his pockets. And finally he found some money. And he came out and came down the aisle and he put in the offering plate. And the host said to him, Brother Seawall, you don't understand. He said, I didn't ask you to give. He said, I asked you to pray. And the old man said, I heard you the first time, but I can't pray until the first I've given. You see how things get connected? If you really love the Lord, there'll be some kind of giving. Now, I'm not here to tell you to, you know, get on the bandwagon, start tithing and faith promise. Maybe what you need to do is give your heart. Maybe that's where you need to start. Give your heart. Because if you don't give your heart, everything else isn't going to work. Oh, here's that offering time again. All right, there's something. Oh, all right, take it. So there's no heart there. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. The only way that'll happen is if we give him our heart. Give him your heart first. And then you'll find your, you'll have some joy of giving. God loveth a cheerful giver. That's how it works. Anyhow. And so they gave their gifts. And... Um, these gifts uh, were very pricey. Um, number one was gold, the most precious of the metals. It suggests Christ's divinity and uh, his righteousness, but also remember that that came in handy when they had to flee to Egypt. Number two was frankincense. That's a combination of two words. You already know what incense is, but the frank on the front is a word that means bountiful and generous. <clears throat> I've read where it, uh, uh, over in France, they used to deal in francs, French francs. I believe that the, uh, um, the, uh, the, the new European uh, note has taken over there. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it. I don't use it myself, but 
They used to have French francs there. And that word franc was based originally upon this idea of, of wealth or bounty sort of thing. And so frankincense wasn't just normal incense. It was extremely expensive incense. And this incense gave off the most bounty, the most. You got your biggest bang for the buck on frankincense. It was a white rosin from Arabia. And it was burned and used in acts of worship. And then finally there was myrrh. Myrrh was a very bitter substance from Arabia, again, and used as a perfume. And it was also used in the embalming process of, of, of a body because of its ability to mask the odors. But it points to Christ's sacrificial death. So you have gold pointing to his divinity. You've got frankincense pointing toward his perfect life. You've got myrrh pointing toward his sacrificial death. And it's usually this way. If you're in love with the Lord, you're going to give him, number one, your heart. A story I've told you before, and I'd like to tell it again because it's so precious. It's so dear to my heart. A good number of years ago, I believe it was in the, uh, around the 1890s, I think. There was a peasant woman in West Africa who'd been wonderfully saved. And she'd been saved at that time for going on 50 years. She'd always longed to do something for her Lord Jesus, but she was too poor. She had nothing. She couldn't do something. And they were having evangelistic crusades and people were bringing different gifts, such as a bowl of corn. But this woman was too poor and she had nothing, nothing, nothing to offer. Later in the week, before the meetings were over, she too came forward with an offering and she placed a shiny silver coin. It was worth a dollar back then, which was quite a bit of money. And she put that in the offering plate on the altar. Now the missionary leading the service saw this and knew the woman and knew she was dirt poor. And right away he thought, oh, I wonder if she did something dishonest to get that money because where would she get that money? And so he didn't want to make a scene, but after the meeting was over, he went to her and said, Mother, tell me, where did you get that money from? And the old lady looked at him and a tear welled up in her eye as she told him of her love for the Savior and her inability to do anything. And so she had this idea. And that day, earlier that day, she went to a nearby plantation and sold herself as a slave for life, for a dollar, so that she'd have something to give. God so loved the world that he gave the best he had. Now, I'm not suggesting that you, you know, start giving big amounts of money. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am suggesting you give big amounts of your heart. And you start today. And maybe, maybe on the invitation. Maybe it's been a long time since you come forward on invitation. Well, come on the invitation. And give your heart to the Lord. Now is the best time. Hey, it's Christmas. What are we going to give Jesus this year? Well, let's give him our heart, folks. If you absolutely are so petrified you can't come forward on the invitation when others are coming, then stay where you're at. Get on your knees. And say, Lord, here is my heart. I'm giving it to you. The wise men came to worship 
and an expression of their worship was their gifts. Let's stand to our feet.